You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for the day and date of, I meant to look this up, May 9th, 8th, 9th, it's like early May, early to middling May. Uh, my name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Starhawk. Oh, wow. My game of, I'm Jason McMaster. I just thought I'd jump that real fast. <laughs> and uh, my game of the week is not Age of Empires Online for once. Hi, I'm Dan Ark, and my game of the week is not Postal 3. Ah, well, if you're going to be that way about it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, Dan Ark, uh, you are with... Uh, uh, actually, what is your position at Dark Realm Studios? Are you like the I... CEO, founder, intern? Basically all the above. <laughs> yeah, I am the slave and owner of Dark Realm Studios. Is your boss a real jerk? I am my own boss. So, yes. Interesting. You started to avoid the question, and then you fessed up. Well done, Dan. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So, uh, tell us a bit, before we talk about what you're doing now, because I know that Jason Johnson, McMaster, and I uh, have some questions for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us a bit about what Dark Realm Studios has done previously. What's your background, basically? Um, No actual formal commercial game experience in the industry, really, except for, I guess, um, as of now. Uh, previously, it was all just basically Flash games, really. Um, now, you yes. say that, Dan, but aren't Flash games, like, uh, that, that's a legitimate thing. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's legitimate to, like, for experience-wise in terms of actually doing game design, but as for how the actual the actual industry works and, you know, the press and everything, it, just, it doesn't, doesn't really compare. Okay. And how did you come to make Flash games? How did that start? Uh, through high school. Just, um, well, I've always liked... You know, creating things and uh, video games just seemed like the natural kind of path to take. Mm-hmm. And my high school actually had a pretty good computing program, so we had like uh, 3D Max and uh, Photoshop and Flash and all that stuff. And I started doing it through high school, and then right out of high school, went into college, and they had it obviously even better setup. And from there, I just basically jumped into the iPhone now. And now, if I'm not mistaken, you are way out in some distant foreign country called yes. Vancouver, I believe? Yeah, that really remote place. <laughs> Do they speak English up there? <laughs> Only some of us, so you're lucky. Yeah. One <laughs> twentieth. And I presume that's where you're from. Has Vancouver always been home to you? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So let me ask you, uh, you're new to uh, iPhone programming. Uh, I've been doing a bit myself. What, what, uh, what are you using? For your game, are you just using straight Xcode? Are you using like an SDK? I'm just using Xcode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't use any um, any libraries or, or sorry, I didn't use any pre-built engines or anything like that. I just basically started from the ground up with uh, OpenGL and Xcode, and it went from there. Sure. Sure. Now, what possessed you, Dan, to go from doing Flash games, uh, and in a minute we'll talk about. The most famous one uh, okay. to to the iPhone. What 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 uh, led to this jump of platforms? Um, I guess you. I mean, if I say it like this, it's going to sound kind of, I guess, selfish. But the money, really. But I, I don't mean for myself. But um, I basically want to make my company into a, like an actual full studio. And the only way to do that without, you know, getting investors or or going into debt is to make money. 
Right. So that's basically what this is, my foot into that direction. Here, here Dan, is a, is a way that you can say that without actually saying it. Use the terms uh, something like commercial viability. <laughs> um, I want to make my company commercially viable. Perfect. Well done, Dan. Yes. <laughs> uh, so the the what you used to go over to the iPhone, uh, and I may be jumping the gun here a little bit, uh, Jason Johnson McMaster, I hope you don't mind. Uh, but well, actually, we'll let Jason Johnson McMaster play us over. JJM, if I may call you that. Sure. Let's start with your game of the week, which I think Dan uh, might have a thing or two to say about. Tell us about your game of the week. What is it? Why is it your game of the week? And how the freaking heck did you get such a dang high <laughs> score? I'm I'm kicking your sorry annoying <laughs> butt off of my game center. Here's okay. So for <laughs> and you and you want to like say, hey, I'm going to add Tom Chick to my game center friends. That's fine. I'm never going to upstage you on a high score list. If you ever want to add Jason, I think it's Jason V McMaster. What's your name? Uh, on game I think it's JV, but it might be Jason V. I have no, 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 you're right. JV McMaster. If you ever think about doing that, I want to caution you against it because he's he's going to be staring down at you from the top of high score lists for the most part. Like I told <laughs> you about Jetpack Joyride, and you're like, oh, I'll try this out. You like double my distance. I can't do that. So this other game, which I told you about, you jerk, I, I log on one day, and you're, like, way above everybody's score. So Jason Johnson McMaster, you're a big jerk, A. And <laughs> Sorry, uh, just one quick question. Yes. Uh, from an old podcast, was Jason the one that always beat you in pinball? Well, you know what? Not really, because his, oh, wife, okay. his wife did. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did, too, but not not terribly. Yeah, you okay. yeah. liked it. Yeah, it's his wife. He had to call in help for that one. Uh, but you're you're right. You're right to bring that up too, Dan. If you add JV McMaster to any friends list, and if you get on, if you get within like striking range of his wife being on your friends list, it's, it's like double the trouble. So I'm just. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so that's my bone to pick with you, Jason Johnson McMaster. But tell us now, what's your game of the week? Tell us about why and uh, what you've been doing with it and why you're such a jerk. Um, well, my game of the week is actually Pandemic 2.5. Um, I uh, I really liked the the Flash game. Um, I played a good bit of it. And, uh, and when this one came out, I grabbed it and was like, I can't wait to see what's going on here. Really cool. Um and the whole, uh, just to give a, a quick background to those who haven't played, uh, the idea is that you create a, uh, a disease to kill uh, the entirety of Earth. And uh, it, there's a lot of strategy to it. Uh, basically, you have to infect the entire world and manage to kill the world before they can get a vaccine. Um, and the two like largest points of contention there are if you kind of take off too fast, but you can't like uh, get a hold somewhere, uh, then there's a good chance that those nations will shut their borders and keep you from getting in. So that's kind of an automatic loss. Uh, and uh, the other is that, uh, of course, a vaccine, which totally sucks. But there are ways to uh, mitigate that as well. And uh, what Tom's talking about is I scored 399,000 points uh wow. wiping wiping out the earth on normal hold on let uh, me let me just for the listeners let me let me do my rendition when you say that mcmaster here's what i hear i scored 399 000 points <laughs> i'm jason mcmaster my high score is like a hundred thousand more than yours 
It's only 90,000 more than the nearest Tom. Don't worry about it. I was rounding to the nearest 100,000. Not a full 100. Out of curiosity, how are you on the actual, like, top ranking? Are you near the top, or...? Um, yeah, I'm in the top 5%. I think I'm ranked... Last time I looked at, like, 1,300. Okay. Top 5%, let's Now, Jason Johnson McMaster, this is particularly relevant because, Dan, I understand you had a role in this pandemic thing. What is your title on that project? Uh, designer developer, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and it goes way back. So I actually know, I know Pandemic from the Flash games. Talk us briefly through its evolution. Okay. Uh, I guess the first one, the very first Pandemic, was merely just, like, an experiment for myself. Um, I mean, I made it when I was really young. I think around 15-ish. Uh, and it stemmed mainly from my love of Sim games, which was inspired by probably SimCity 2000. Oh, that yeah, great game. game is just awesome, yeah. Um, I discovered that game when I was like seven or eight or something and just couldn't put it down, oh, really. Right. So um, from Pandemic, or rather, I guess, yeah, I was just experimenting with it, and just for the sake of seeing what could be done with it, I tried getting it sponsored by one of the Flash sponsors, um, and then Crazy Monkey Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ended up sponsoring it, and I was like, wow, I'm 14, 15 years old. <laughs> I just made $1,000 like, you know, in, in a month. And, I mean, at, at that age, that's a big deal, kind of. That'd be, you know what, Dan? It beats a paper route. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And yeah. so then from there, it just kind well, of... Real quick, old. real quick, Dan, let me interrupt, because I'm curious about the kernel of the idea. Like, where did going from a sim life kind of thing, where, where, yeah. how did you make that shift to dealing with a disease? Where did that come from? Uh, I honestly don't know. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think back on it now, and I don't have an actual concrete answer that is truth. You know, I, I can't. <laughs> I, I could probably say something; it'll sound right, but it won't probably be real. Um, as I, as a fifteen or fourteen year old, like, were you into like apocalyptic fiction stuff? Were you into medical issues, uh, or, or was it just a, a, a this idea that hey, this was a cool mechanic? It was purely an idea, as far as I know. I mean, uh, around that age, I was reading The Dark Tower, and that has a bit of stuff like that in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe that influenced me a bit. I don't. I don't see it doing that much, though. I think it was merely just like kind of a spur of the moment. Hey, let's try this, and that's kind of where it came from. Right. So you did the first pandemic, a flash game. You made your uh, your thousand space bucks, actually real bucks, <laughs> from uh, Monkey Games. I think you said they were Crazy Monkey Games. Crazy yeah. Monkey Games. Uh, and now, how did I know that pandemic has been iterated on several times? Uh, yeah. Talk us through that process. Um, well, once I discovered that I could, I could actually, you know, make money and people were interested in the game, because even just beyond making the money on the first game, people were actually quite receptive to it. They enjoyed it, and I was just kind of blown away that by the response. So that encouraged me to just try to improve upon it, try to build upon it, mm-hmm. and that's where Pandemic 2 came from. Um, that was merely just kind of an expansion in all directions. There was also... Uh, another pandemic game called American Swine, which was kind of a satirical take on the whole swine flu thing uh, that happened, I think, three years ago now. Yeah. can't remember, yeah. And uh, was uh, Pandemic 2, uh, actually was the original pandemic, did you always have this idea of morphing 
the disease as the game goes on. Because, of course, that's your biggest sort of fictional leap, is that that's not how diseases work. But no. in the service of gameplay, that's a great gameplay idea. Uh, was that there from the beginning? Um, yeah, it was basically the idea was if you had, like, god-like-ish uh, you know, powers, if you could control an, uh, an organism, or not an organism, like just, you know, a, a virus, basically, if you can uh, influence its course and its evolution and how it, you know, just kind of progresses and spreads, how would that translate into an actual game? So, yeah, the whole actual evolution portion of the gameplay was there from the beginning. I love, by the way, Dan, how you uh, juxtapose, quote, godlike powers with evolution. Uh, <laughs> sneakily done. Thank nice. you. <laughs> uh, so in, in Pandemic 2.5 now, which I guess is what you're basically calling Pandemic 2 for the iPhone, uh, tell us how, so, so you decided, hey, let's be, quote, unquote, commercially viable. Let's go to the iPhone. Uh, have there been any changes gameplay-wise, and, and, and what did you have to do to adapt to the iPhone? Um, well, adapting to the iPhone, the most obvious thing I think on the bat would be the interface-related issues because the screen size is obviously quite smaller, especially on the uh, the older devices that don't have, don't have Retina. Mm-hmm. So that was my biggest initial hurdle, just trying to design an interface that would actually work well on that uh, screen size with that limited amount of space that wouldn't actually kind of just overwhelm the player with buttons everywhere and information just kind of I mean, it happens a bit with the, the news, as you mentioned before in the review, but just trying to keep everything to a minimum to not overwhelm the player. And then, oh, sorry. Oh, and I just wanted to say in response to the thing about the news, one of the things I realized is that the, the news stuff is is not as crucial. Like, the news thing you're mentioning is that every now and then when you hit certain thresholds, a little yellow text crawl appears, mm-hmm. where previously there have just been white flavor text crawls. Yeah. Uh, so those are just little uh, little reminders that, hey, you've infected so many people, or hey, you've, I don't know if it does it when you jump borders, but every now and then you get a little alert uh, that if you're going super fast, goes by quickly, and if you're on an iPhone, is 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 just kind of tiny and hard to read as opposed to on an iPad. Um, yeah. No, um, actually, in Pandemic 2, they had, I, I think even as far back as Pandemic 1, the news was related um, to the, the disease as well. It was just that now that I threw in the kind of the flavoring news, the background stuff to kind of make the world a bit more alive, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to give the player some kind of color coding so they could recognize what was, what was you know, important, what was just the, the flavor or the icing. Right, right. Um, so, uh, so it came out on the iPhone. You did that port, and in a minute, I want to talk to you about some specifics of that. And I'm sure okay. that Jason Johnson McMaster might have questions as well. But tell us how this has gone for you since you put it on the iPhone. I think it's been out. Is it two weeks? One week? How long has it been? Uh, basically eight days, roughly. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, it was released on May first, but uh, it was released like almost over halfway through the day. And I didn't really announce it or send out the press release or anything like that until uh, May 2nd. And that's when everything kind of started taking off. And when you say taking off, uh, I think you're being a little modest. Uh, Where is Pandemic sitting on the iPhone charts right now? Yeah, it's kind of crazy because I literally (laughs) was not expecting this. I mean, even when I was kind of just daydreaming about the success, like, oh, it'd be amazing if I sold X number of copies in a month. I've already surpassed that number. Um... Where is it? I wrote, yeah, okay. In the UK, it's at number three. 
In the U.S., it's number two, and in Canada, it's number three as well. That is so awesome, Dan. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Um, I was going to say, also in the top grossing for the iPhone, it's in number 21-ish spot right now. And you're not doing any EA-style shenanigans where you're charging $4.99. This is a regular 99-cent game. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I didn't really have a a budget, really, for marketing either. Um, So it's basically been word of mouth and just any websites that are willing to review it. So would you say, Dan, that it's viral? (laughs) Yes. Actually, (laughs) I've recognized that from the very start, the whole kind of (laughs) ironic meta level of this whole thing. Uh, So it's doing very well. I couldn't be happier. Now, I want to ask you this, Dan, and I I apologize if this puts you on the spot, but uh, why do you think it's doing so well? I have some theories, and that's why I'm asking, but I I want to hear from you first. Why, Why do you think this has caught on so well? Okay. Um, well, I think the first obvious thing is the fan base from the first, the Flash games. Okay. Um, that translates into, well, having an easier time, I guess, if you have an audience already pre-built for your game. Um, if they just kind of, if well, I guess not all of them, but if the majority of them are willing to support a new iteration of it to uh, test it out and to play it, if they know they've liked the previous ones, that obviously is a, a huge help right away. Uh, you know what? That's a good point, Dan. I just want to interject real quick because that's something that a lot of iPhone game developers don't necessarily have going for them. Like you do have a kind of a franchise going. I mean, this is something that uh, it's you're not starting from from square one necessarily. So that's <laughs> that's got to be a help. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just the other thing is just the the morbid nature of just killing the whole world. People just kind of I don't know. They just they just kind of want to daydream about you know, killing the whole world. I guess it's kind of like when you're in traffic, you know, and I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about like the road ragers who actually go out of their car with a baseball bat, but the people who are just sitting there thinking, oh, it'd be awesome if my car had like rockets on the sides. It, it definitely taps into some sort of like post-apocalyptic uh, fantasy that I think a lot of folks have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, like, wouldn't it be cool if the world wasn't uh, such a big, complicated thing, and I could just sort of wipe it clean? It, it's, you know what, Dan? It's downright biblical. Like, <laughs> hey, it's time for a flood. Uh, let's let's have a catastrophe, a global catastrophe. Yeah. Uh, I also want to want to point out, though, I think a lot of what you have going for you, and both of those are absolutely right. But I, I think one of the really cool things, and what I kind of respond to a lot in pandemic, uh, is that there's really nothing quite like it. Mm, um, yeah. There's so many clones of things on the iPhone, and or ports of board games, or Angry Bird clones, or let's try to do a shooter but on the iPhone. I mean, there there's so many attempts on the iPhone to tap into other established gameplay motifs and whatnot that something like Pandemic, I really can't think of many games that it reminds me of. I can think of one. Yeah, uh, me too. Kinda. Yeah. So J. J- Jason Johnson McMaster, what would what do you have in mind? Like, what does it kind of remind um, you of? The game that it uh, this is not a you know one understand. It, it really it kind of reminds me oddly of Adam Zombie Smasher for some reason. Oh, well, you know what? I was going to go in a different direction, but I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah, just because of the way the infection spreads in Adam Zombie Smasher and you now that I, I don't know, it just always kind of brings that to mind. Well, it's that fascinating moment from any, like, disease movie where somebody does a computer model of the spread. Uh, it's You know, we all see that, and it's a way to represent right. a global catastrophe if your movie doesn't have the budget for it. So we're all familiar with that idea, and Adam Zombie Smasher and, and now Pandemic both 
our, our gameplay versions of that thing we've seen in, in movies. Right, right. Uh, so I want to say that the game that it reminds me of for the scale of it and the sort of clinical, dispassionate approach to uh, to the enormity of global catastrophe, like what it reminds me of there, it, the way that it's, it, it expresses violence uh, and, and wide-scale death and destruction in simple numbers, it reminds me a lot of DEFCON. Yeah. Uh, the, the oh, yeah. Um, so, so Dan, are you familiar with either Adam Zombie Smasher or DEFCON? Because I think you either predate or coincide. You certainly predate Adam Zombie Smasher, but DEFCON, you probably were doing your your Flash game like simultaneous to them. Uh, I, um, sorry, I was just gonna say I actually discovered that a few years later than the, the okay. Flash games. And, and they do have a similar approach in that it, it's not we're not going to be spectacular. We're just going to give you the numbers and then let your imagination play with the enormity of the scenario. You know that, that how terrible it is exists only in your imagination because it's really just a spreadsheet, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'm familiar with both games, and I think you're right. And that's also um, why I added the whole option to name your disease. So I kind of recognized from Pandemic 2 and, and onward that a lot of what the enjoy- enjoyment that people were getting out of the game was kind of more imagination-based than necessarily actually in the game. So trying to attach some uh, emotional attachment to their disease or something like that, I thought was a way to progress that even further. And in a way, Dan, that's a lot like an RPG. I mean, even the way you build the disease has certain yep. elements that are reminiscent of building a character. Or there's a skill tree in there, basically. So, yeah, that emotional attachment, it's, it's really a weird emotional attachment, too. Like, who could be emotionally attached to the disease, which is always the faceless bad guy in the movie or the zombie fiction or whatever, and here it's you. That's another thing that makes it completely unique, I feel, uh, is that you are the disease. Um, yeah, but, absolutely. Jason Johnson McMaster, what do you name your diseases? Anything clever? Um, I don't know. Uh, just random stuff, usually. Nothing all that clever. I bet it involves the word pants. <laughs> uh, probably at one point or another. <laughs> uh, Dan, have you given up naming diseases when you test it? Did you? Uh, do you have a, a go-to name for your diseases? Uh, yeah, that's why I default the thing. Um, if you actually don't name your disease, it just yeah. defaults to H2N2. Yeah. Which is yeah, which is the wait, isn't that the actual swine flu? No, that was H one N wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, so it's twice as good as H one N one. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Dan, let's talk a bit about uh, that gross, icky medical stuff in there. Uh, so I'm going to say something right now that I never thought I would be able to say out loud, <laughs> and that is that I always open with pink eye and painful urination. <laughs> That's weird. I, I have a different opener. <laughs> really? What, what's your opener, Mr. 399,000 points? I almost always start with runny nose, actually, and then it depends from there. Uh, I just feel I don't like know. there's too much visibility there. I mean, there's a, there's a, so much visibility in pink eye, but, but runny nose, huh? Yeah, it's like you have to take a little visibility to get, yeah, you kinda do. get a really good infection, you know? like You could get away with like not taking visibility and getting lethality. So usually when I when I'm playing, I usually try to get like everybody infected, and then as soon as all the points start rolling in, I switch things to lethal. 
Right, but those opening moves, though, like McMaster, you know what? Who am I to argue with you? You're the one with 399,000 points, though. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But so, Dan, where does all this come from? Because I would play this game and look through some of these little descriptions and Mm -hmm. think, oh, this is some medical student who's let his imagination gone wild. Uh, Where does all that stuff come from? Uh, I guess a combination of my love for just science in general and just giving people the kind of tools and kind of grounding the series in reality, you know, to make it as grounded as possible uh, so that they kind of understand the real ramifications of what's going on. Even if it's just, like you said, everything's presented by numbers, they still know what roughly is happening on the ground. And I want to say, again, part of the beauty of that, and I just I can't help but wax analytical when I play Pandemic and think about how awesome it is. But part of the beauty of that, Dan, is it taps into this school of horror called uh, body dysmorphia, where you can imagine, you're, like the movie The Fly, we watch that and we watch Jeff Goldblum's body literally fall apart, and we can all relate to, ew, how awful that is, because we all, you know, that's a touchstone everyone has, like losing a fingernail right. or mm-hmm. or your, your nose falling off. <laughs> yeah. like that's the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> so that what you provide here, Dan, in the game is you read those little descriptions, because you, you naturally want to know, oh, what's this, that, what's the thing for dry mouth, zero... Uh, what's that word, Dan? Oh, uh, God. Oh, sorry. Um, until... Cottonmouth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, co- the cottonmouth one, yeah. It's the, it's the Latin or the Greek prefix for dry, though, like Zeno. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I can't remember. But so, so you see that, and you're like, oh, I want to see what this means. So you click on it, and you get yeah. this description that immediately makes you think, you know, oh, this is how that would feel, or, oh, I, I relate to that. You, you know, like sores, for Pete's sake, everybody knows what a sore is, but you <laughs> explain in there, like, why that increases the infection. Okay, here's another yeah. really gross one. Here's a gross one. I I normally, like, avoid scatological humor and talk. <laughs> you know what? This is in the pursuit of medicine. For instance, <laughs> for instance diarrhea. Right. I can click on diarrhea and... St- and I am forced to think. I'm confronted with this, Dan. You have made me think about this. I'm just <laughs> a freaking video game for little escapism. And you have now confronted me with the idea that people who have diarrhea are extremely infectious but not very visible. Basically, right. they're, they're hiding gross bacteria junk in their pants so that people can't see it. But when they go to the hospital, it's going to get everywhere. You're making me think about that gross stuff. And it's it's really subversive, insidious, gross, and enormously infective. Or non-hand washing. I mean, that's, you know, that's... You know, that gets to, like, another part of the game, which is kind of like you have to kind of decide who you think is going to be the biggest issue for you and kind of cater towards them, in a way. Uh, I mean, I know Madagascar is... the old school like hard to crack super paranoid madagascar mm-hmm. but like I, there's a few that i've run into this time like the caribbean yeah uh, is like always a sticking point for me i have problems with the caribbean i have problems with iraq uh sometimes well, that's, oddly. That's, don't, don't we all mcmaster well that's Actually, yeah i mean that's uh, just because i'm american i guess <laughs> Actually, uh, with the 1.01 update that went live today, there was a slight uh, increase in the odds of the Caribbean, Madagascar, Iceland, and Greenland all receiving ships. 
Finally. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Greenland I had a lot of problems with. That's why I actually I, I started using this strategy, and it's got me to around 350,000. I, I kind of just got like sort of lucky at the same time as doing everything just right. At uh, the time, I got almost 400. But like uh, where I, I start off putting points to get people infected, and it's not going to be like a huge infection. Like I might do... Something like, you know, runny nose, uh, hypersensitivity, uh, like coughing and sneezing. And then um, though that is visible, which I do try to avoid, it's also, I mean, if you don't go with something like that, a lot of times your disease will just die um, if you're trying to play the waiting game with points. But um, if you do that and then you just start working on all of your resistances, which I do, before, like, you start throwing like the really infectious stuff onto it like diarrhea or uh, vomiting whatever then uh you'll have a better chance i think of getting your infection out because it can take over faster um because it can actually move to all the environments so there's a tip for you tom oh i actually know all that stuff uh oh yeah Yeah. here's my here's my here's my excuse for why i have not beat your score and 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 dan's actually addressing this i know this is something he's got on the on the roster uh so i tend to play pandemic like at the end of the night when i'm winding down in bed uh just sort of wipe out the earth a couple of times real quick no big deal but what'll happen is i'll get in a situation where i've got some long-term strategy going and i'm doing great and oh look i finally got greenland on board uh okay i'm ready to start kicking into lethality with the pulmonary edemas and the other things that are really lethal encephalitis is great i've got that like head popper trade unlocked i've got all that stuff and i'm about ready to kick in to my final death phase for the earth and oh god my power shut down and i lose all my progress because dan Uh, you jerk you cannot save the game now that said i've kvetched about that but i know that that's something that you have in mind for a a 1.1 save yeah definitely um there have been a few reviews out now and a lot of the feedback from also the, the players uh there are two really huge um well not not problems per se but just things holding the game back from being better than it can be and one of those is the lack of the save uh feature which i will be adding in uh to the game in 1.1 and the other thing is uh i guess this kind of reflects back on what you were saying how on how unique the game is um some people who play the game really have absolutely no idea what they should be doing like at all they have (laughs) zero idea and so even after like responding to their emails or uh, forwarding them to a, uh, an online guide I wrote and posted on my forums, um, they still have no idea because they need they need literally like actual hand holding to get them through the process. Sure. A tutorial. Um, yeah, tutorial exactly. Um, so that's what I'm doing in 1.1 as well. Uh, tutorial, save games, and a bunch of other uh, improvements and bug fixes if there are any left. Because there are a few things that are not intuitive that I think a lot of us know from the the web, the, the Flash game. And, and for instance, I, I saw some of this on Quarter to Three where some people were talking about the game. It wasn't clear to some of them that you could undo pieces of your disease, you know, that you could pay to take back certain things. The idea being that maybe once you spread or if you want to push the spread a little farther, that you scale back on visibility for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, like, that's, I think, an important part of the game that isn't necessarily clear to those of us who don't know the Flash game uh, that a little hand-holding might help with. Yeah. 
what tell me a bit about uh your uh your your model for how the game works and i'm specifically curious about you have a whole sort of economy going where airplanes and ships bring money and if a country doesn't have enough money its hospitals might shut down uh there's a lot of stuff going on under the hood that it seems like you want to keep under the hood yeah um again it just kind of comes from my my enjoyment from sims um when i say sims i mean simulations in general um and actually, the whole economy issue, or not issue, but I guess uh, system, it got put into place in Pandemic 2.5 because I noticed a lot in Pandemic 2 that the regional AI would just basically kind of just dump all their operations on. Like There was nothing holding them back, really. There was nothing, it was like no, uh, there was no risk or any cost to actually uh, enforcing any of their operations. Mm-hmm. So... With the new version, I basically have a, a simulated a simulated economy going on in each region. That um, you know, each region uh, benefits from having an airport open or a seaport. Uh, they benefit from having open borders. Uh, they benefit obviously from actually having a, a population, and um, that all that increases money and adds money to their their capital, their bank, and then. So when the disease actually shows up on their shores and you know and it has a high enough notoriety, they start uh, basically they don't just dump everything on all at once. They take a more much more kind of realistic approach, something you'd probably see in a movie, where they're actually weighing the options of okay, well should we pursue this option? Well if we do that, then we're going to cripple our economy in the long run and we're not going to be able to you know function as an actual country anymore. So. That's one of the biggest reasons why I included the economy. It's just so the actual AI now had an actual cost for all of their possible uh, options. Mm-hmm. Now, when when you talk about that, Dan, like I'm, I'm aware that as a game designer, uh, a lot of what you have to do is decide how streamlined to be versus how detailed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, what what numbers do I show the player, and at what point am I overloading the player with information? Uh, so you've obviously decided that that economy stuff, which kind of drives the game, is something that the player, uh, you, you don't necessarily want that to be part of the, the gameplay experience. Like, you don't want me looking at a number for what Greenland's economy is doing. Uh, was was that a tough choice? Um, because me, I'm super hardcore. I would not be scared by that, but I can completely understand that for the commercial viability that we talked about a little earlier, you might not want that to be a part of Pandemic. Uh, tell me a little bit about that decision. Like, how do you know what things to show the player and what things to keep under the hood? Um, yeah, like yeah, like you said, basically, it was, it was a decision from not wanting to overburden the player with too much information. Also, there was the fact that uh, before I actually went on to do the iPad or make the game a universal app to support the iPad as well, I was developing the game exclusively just for the iPhone and the iPod Touch for the first few months. So I was planning the game specifically just for that really small screen Mm -hmm. and adding all that additional information in as well on top of everything else that was already on screen was just not really practical. So it comes from real estate of the screen size and the just not wanting to actually throw all the all these numbers at the player. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the two biggest things. But then a th- I guess a third little side shoot, side option is um, 
there's, there's a, a bit of a sense of, uh, not sensitivity. There's a bit of a sense of exploration in the game, and I felt that if I kept a few things hidden from the player, um, it kind of it entices them to explore and to to experiment with how the game plays and what kind of uh, you know symptoms they can throw on. Because there are some symptoms and some traits in the game that specifically target the economy, like fatigue, for example, that reduces. Um, I think that reduces how much money a country gets from their infected population. So if a player sees this and they're going to start wondering, well, wait, how does that come into play? And they may they might try uh, experimenting with other options and just try and you know investigate how the economy comes into play, really. Right. And I love that you did that, Dan. But if I was like, uh, if I, a lot of times when somebody who's made a game comes on the show, I'll I'll play briefly. If I was your producer, here's what I would say. So <laughs> I, I love that you've made that decision. But if I was your producer, I would at least, you know, for instance, you have the real estate to show somebody whether schools are open. Yeah. Uh, and I would say, you know what, in that case, really, the, the game needs some kind of uh, feedback in terms of how a country's economy is doing. Like, I love that fatigue can target economy and therefore shut down hospitals, but tell the player that uh, in a way. So, and I want to and to sort of reinforce that point, I want to tell you about a game I was playing last night. Uh, I, I had started off in the U.S., uh, I did my typical thing, which McMaster, I'm sure, will tell me in a minute is why I don't have 399,000 points. And my, yep. my, my typical thing is to, to at some point fold in coughing and sneezing just to get a good spread going and then to take those away uh, to, to reduce the visibility and, uh, and hopefully let it spread farther. So what will often happen is I will, uh, I will get it going. I've got my coughing and sneezing. It's starting to spread. I get the points where I can take the coughing and sneezing back to reduce the visibility. And then it starts to plateau and then plummet. So what I'm stuck with is watching the United States hovering at somewhere between 200 and 300 infected people. I've only killed eight people at this point, so I'm really failing. You know, out of the world population of six whatever billion, yeah. eight people have died. There are 200 people in the U.S. infected. The game is literally going for months, and it's not spreading. I don't have enough points, new points, to adapt the disease any further, so I'm just stuck watching. And, and, and by the way, I'm fine with this. This is my bed. I've made this bed. I'm okay laying in it and just watching the numbers. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm fascinated watching the numbers fluctuate, every now and then checking the world stats to see if it spreads somewhere. But so while I'm watching the U.S., I get the little message at the bottom that I love that you've provided where uh, hurricanes pop up. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh, if only I had gotten moisture, moisture capacity. Yeah. So I love that that little detail is in there. And if there was some kind of feedback like that to make me more aware of the economy and the, the effect, say, of fatigue, uh, I, I kind of feel like there was a missed opportunity there uh, that – uh, that, that just if you made different choices about what things to show the player and what things not to show the player, I could have had a great hurricane moment with hurricane and moisture capacity with fatigue and economy. Uh, yeah, you're, you're probably right. I probably should have added even uh, just a vague, like, um, kind of how is this economy going, good, poorly, or whatever. I think you're right that some kind of feedback, even if it's just something abstract, would have been nice to have. Right. Um, tell me a bit about water. So I know that there's a, a, a great strategy is to go for a waterborne infection to get the, the moisture capacity up to add. I think there's even a trait that helps there. Some swimmer. swimmer, yes. Some countries uh, for water say none. And I'm like, wait a minute. How can you have no water in your country? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
that is not based in reality. I guess, <laughs> yeah, um, that's more of a just kind of a, a game board approach to the the map. The centralized water system. Is yeah, I think what what that's supposed to represent. Yeah. So like the modernized countries or regions, they have water reservoirs basically. Oh well, that makes oh I love that then. Okay, that makes perfect yeah. sense. Uh, I see. I, where where it would be tough, it's more difficult like in Japan to infect the water system. Is that the idea? Well, yeah, because they have like they're surrounded by water, I guess, and they're not just drinking out of wells for instance. No, yeah. All right, good point. Okay, fair. Uh, right, yeah, and then that's why you'll notice like a lot of those places do have like uh, that, that watershed that others don't because they're what fed by rivers. I'm sure a lot too, like Africa, parts of Africa, etc. So, Jason Johnson, Johnson McMaster, do you have any specific questions that you need? To, not that your score needs any help. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know. There's a few. Let me think here. Um, first, visibility, of course, is bad. Uh, but what... Jeez, um, I did have some. Uh, one thing I would like is if on the faster speed you could make them the, the text scroll slower. Yeah, that is... I didn't want to do that. I mean, initially, that never happened. The reason that, the reason that got the way it is is because it's a purely uh, logistical issue where if you don't have the the news matching the actual game speed basically there's a backlog yeah. and the, well, the news start... already over yeah by the yeah, time the players yeah, are yeah. really odd reports of you know things that are, have no relevance in what's actually happening anymore and that even happened to me when i was just playing or testing the game out when i had the news running at normal speed i'd be getting yeah. all these weird news reports and i didn't understand i thought there was a bug and it turned out it's just a backlog was forming. So that's where that sure. idea came from. I definitely do want, want to improve it in version 1.1. I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to do that still, but I'm thinking maybe a separate window or some kind of pop-ups or something. I just don't want to flood the player with icons everywhere. <laughs> I, I hear you say that, Dan, and my reaction, and this is just me and never cater to this, but my reaction <laughs> is, yes, please flood me with more windows, more windows, <laughs> more buttons, more numbers, more information. I want more. <laughs> um, yeah, one thing I, I'm kind of curious about is, like, if, if say, if say a uh, state or country, I mean, is landlocked and uh, they shut their borders. Oh, I hate is, when jerks do that. That's so. Is it is something like like the like birds or anything like that? Can they infect that country? I mean, uh, I haven't seen it actually really work for me. That's why I'm asking. No, the birds and the insects and um, the rodents; those are primarily used to. They're almost like multipliers. That's a really sure. way of talking about them. But they're almost like multipliers without the cost of actually uh, increasing lethality or visibility. And right. so they, they operate just on a, a per-region per basis. They don't actually help the, the disease spread across closed borders. Wait a minute. Okay. You're telling me that a bug is going to honor the border between Central America and Colombia? That's unrealistic. I did have a problem with freaking <laughs> Colombia one game. <laughs> <laughs> they had one immune person. That Come made on. me so freaking oh. mad. Yeah, you would think one little mouse what could... guy. <laughs> yeah, a, a mouse could just cross the border checkpoint? Come on, how unreasonable is that? I, I want my mouse... I paid for rodents. I want my mouse to walk into Columbia and infect someone, dadgummit. <laughs> it is so dispiriting when you've done so well, and there's some freaking landlocked country holding out. 
and I just love how much character. Like I, I've thought more about Colombia and Central America in the past week than I have in the past year because of, because of your game and because I had one great match where those were my two weird holdouts yeah. for, from uh, conquering the world. I've had Peru and Colombia a few times as well. Um, you know, one thing that uh, I'm kind of curious about um, that I just completely forgot. So you know what? Let me jump in then. Uh, so, so Dan, one of the really cool things that I like that you've done, uh, and I would be curious if you've had any pushback about this, is there's a definite meta game system in there with the achievements and the traits. Yeah. Uh, is that something that I personally love that? Have you gotten yeah, any negative cool. feedback about, you know, I always want this. I don't want to have to play a game to unlock this thing for my later games. No, uh, I've received nothing but, well, I've received nothing but, um, you know, apathy. So I, I mean, sorry. The lowest I've received is apathy, but I've also received, yeah, I've also received uh, lots of thanks and lots of uh, good comments and stuff, stuff like that. So um, no, nothing negative at all. And people have actually been like uh, cra- collaborating on Facebook and stuff, trying to unlock all the all the traits together. So it definitely is helping with the word of mouth as well. And it helps. You mentioned before about wanting to foster a sense of exploration. Those yeah. traits definitely lead to that. You know, I, I when I go onto that trait screen to buy my swimmer thing for my waterborne disease, I see all those other ones, and I'm like, oh, oh, right. I, I can't wait to figure out how to unlock those and to bring those into play. Uh, there, are, there are two that are just absolute key. I mean, that's Endurer and Mutator. See, I unlocked those pretty quickly. There, and there's yeah. so many that I haven't unlocked yet that I can't wait to play with, and I'm okay not knowing how to unlock them. Like I'm okay, sure, it's, yeah. it's forcing me to try things other than my usual pink eye, painful urination <laughs> strategy. You know, it, it's driving me to play the game in different ways. And any meta game that does that, Dan, is is perfect. So I think you've done a, a fantastic job with that. Bill. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I was thinking. I, I remember what I was trying to uh, think of. Um, why uh, is there a like positive purpose for visibility because I know some of the symptoms are like really high visibility and nothing else. Yeah, that's balancing and tuning. Yeah, so so Dan, that's that's a great question, McMaster. Um, trying to think of it now. <laughs> um, oh yeah, if you have a disease and it's basically running wild, and for some reason, say you're killing everyone, and you actually don't have enough points to say remove some high level lethality trait. You can raise your visibility up so you stop killing people so quickly, so your no- uh, notoriety doesn't increase as quickly. It's like using brakes in a racing game. Uh, okay, I got you. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. You huh. know what? You know what I can see in 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 my uh, distant front view, McMaster, and that's your high score. Now that I know huh. that. <laughs> and actually, I just wanted to um, comment on what Tom was saying. Uh, Actually, good news then for you, that uh, because 1.1, I'm going to be including some new traits and uh, new achievements as well. Ah, sneaky! You know what? You could. I'm glad you're not doing this, but you could charge for that DLC. No, no, I'm not charging <laughs> for DLC. I'm sorry. I cannot stand that. That just rubs me the wrong way. about you know, the whole industry. Well, I guess not the whole industry. I mean, uh, CD Projekt, they're amazing. They you know provide oh, a lot yeah. of free content, but. Um, I mean, THQ, they're kind of running for bankruptcy, so that's why they're charging people like $11 for some skins in, um, in Dawn of War, but I just okay. can't stand it, the practice in general. 
So, Dan, I already thought you were a pretty cool dude from playing Pandemic, but two things you've said today, uh, I hope this doesn't make you feel uneasy, but two things you've said today make me think I have a little bit of a man crush on you. <laughs> One of those things is what you just said about DLC. Yeah. I love the fact that you're a, a straight-up 99-cent game, that you're sticking to your guns. Um, you know, I've kvetched about a great little game called Jetpack Joyride and so many other games that rely on in-app purchases, so I'm happy to hear you say that. And the other thing that I love that you said is that you started out using the iPad uh, the iPod, iPhone, basically my little tiny dinky system as a starting point. Uh, you know, I see so many games that assume that they can take advantage of all that real estate on an iPad. And as a guy with only an iPhone, I just feel like a second rate citizen. So thank you for both of those, especially. Oh, you're uh, welcome. And I mean, uh, just the iPad thing and the iPod thing, that's just kind of, that's just good design. I mean, I can't think of really going oh, to the yeah. iPad first. Yeah. I just well, kind of caused a headache afterwards. It kind of depends because, like, it depends on the iPad, really. I mean, it really, it's not so bad to shove like the three, four onto the iPhone. Now, I mean, a new iPad, yeah, that would be pretty much a nightmare, though. McMaster, it sounds to me like you are waffling, and it sounds to me like you're making a game for the iPad that you're going to squeeze down to the iPhone and therefore marginalize people like me. Is that what's going on? <laughs> are you are you justifying your behavior over there? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I am. Uh, I'm working on a few projects for, but I mean, I'm testing on the iPad because I, I have an iPad. I, I don't have an iPhone. Well, just don't myself. forget, don't forget us little folks, McMaster. Oh no, 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 of course, it's really not so bad to do uh, a game for both. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, pretty reasonable options in your build to just switch graphics out. No. Are you talking about your game publicly yet, or is it more of a secret project? Uh, not. Not a lot now, um, but uh, I will be pretty soon, I think. Okay. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, all right. So, McMaster, that was your game of the week. Uh, I I would concur. I actually have a different one for this week, but I, I've been playing a lot of Pandemic 2.5. Uh, Dan, I'm so tickled it's doing well for you. Uh, I just yeah. I couldn't. Yeah, it's an excellent game. Actually, that's kind of the source of my insomnia at the moment. Um well, you know, it could be that, or it could be H2N2. Oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just um, the way Apple, basically, the developer uh, has no idea how well it's selling until 3 a.m. in the morning. And so, <laughs> and so right now, I'm basically at the point where I'm just so surprised about how well it's doing. I'm also really anxious to, I'm kind of terrified of when it's going to drop. So I'm waking up, like, without without cause, without any mean to, I'm waking up at, like, 12.30 in the morning, 3.30 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, and I don't want to be doing this, but I just keep doing it, and it's ruining, like, the past seven nights, I've had, like, three and a half hours of sleep now, because <laughs> I've just been kind of wrecked by the, by the success. You know, yeah, that, that makes me think that in more ways than one, uh, releasing a game is like having a baby. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, well, let's, uh, so uh, Pandemic 2.5, heartily endorsed by myself and Jason Johnson McMaster. Uh, add me, Tom Chick, to your friends list. Don't add J.V. McMaster unless you want to uh, feel really bad about yourself, Mr. I have 399,000 points. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I so, can't help. Uh, Dan, you are going to stick around with us today and also tell us your game and news of the week. So yep. uh, if you don't mind, let me throw it over to you. What would you pick as your game of the week? And with all this, like, waking up to worry about the numbers at 3 a.m., do you have time to play other games? Well, that's just it. I mean, 
the insomnia is bad enough, but the marketing and PR stuff along with it, it just kind of it's a lot for one person to handle, along with all the actual updating of the game, like working on the actual updates. So I've been kind of starved in terms of uh, playing games recently. But I have been playing one game, mm-hmm. or rather two games, I guess, but this one game is my game of the week, and it is Starfarer. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it. Mm. That's it one a- of those Kickstarter, it's either a Kickstarter thing, or it's a free alpha, or a purchased alpha on Steam thing. What, what is it? It's a purchased alpha not on Steam. And Wait a minute, how does that work? A PC game not on Steam? I'm a I know, confused. it's amazing. It's surprising. <laughs> uh, there's no Kickstarter... Uh, either actually Kickstarter is part of my news, but no, there's no Kickstarter for this game either. Um, it's just one website, and they have you know like a, a middleman to do the transactions, and it's ten dollars for the alpha. It's I think they're about halfway through the alpha. That's just a really rough guess on my part though. And what it can be best described as is basically Mount and Blade in space. Huh. Oh, I don't need to hear that. That's terrible. <laughs> Because that's exactly, that's something I want. So mount and blade in space. Dan, that makes me think like you start off and you can go anywhere and do anything. Basically, yeah. You start off with one ship. um, But right now, the whole campaign is still in the works. It's just the kind of one system, uh, one star, a few planets and a few space stations. That's what you're given right now to play around with. And there's a few factions in this one uh, system that are kind of fighting each other. It's a sandbox-esque game. And you start off with one ship, and you can just attack, you know, the the pirates or the other factions, and you upgrade your ship. You can acquire new ships. Uh, there are officers, and there's marines, and you can do boarding uh, things after the tactical battle. Um, it's all very much like Mountain Blade in space, basically, just the whole sandbox and the whole progression system. Uh, now you, you have- I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that, but they do have a, a larger kind of meta-level campaign planned for the game where you... I'm not sure how far they're going to take it, but I think they're going to do, like, base building and stuff as well. So it sounds kind of like a... What are those games? The X, X3 or what, what were those games called? Yeah, those... Except it's yeah, actually really fun. Talks, yeah. Ah! <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like... The games, they, they kind of prioritize realism over entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, like I like the X3 games quite a bit, or the X games, but they're like, uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes it gets a little irritating having to, like, pilot for 18 hours to do something. So Yeah. yeah. So, Dan, <clears throat> what is the uh, moment-to-moment gameplay like in Starfarer? Is it, you mentioned tactical combat, so I assume it's not an action-y kind of space sim game, more like a strategy game? Oh, it's a real-time tactical combat, but it's got an overmap, similar to Mountain Blade, where you have uh, your force, your kind of your fleet, and you're, you fly around, and as you engage other fleets or other kind of systems, I guess, you get turn, you get brought into the tactical, the tactical map. Mm-hmm. And from there, that's where you have um, you give the AI or you assign your commanders uh, instructions, orders on how to progress through the the battle. You know where they should be, uh, if they should kind of form a front line, or if they should. Uh, fly with other ships in formation mm-hmm. or if they should capture because there are like these little nodes across the map that provide bonuses you can capture those and the whole thing works off a, a fleet point system thing where uh, you have a, a fixed number of, of points that determine how many ships you can bring into the battle at any given time but then if you capture more of these nodes 
then you can bring more ships in and deny your enemy from bringing more ships in. So your basic playing piece, as it were, is a fleet, right? Yeah, on the on the on the very uh, high level map that you're just a fleet. But once you get into the tactical battle, everything's real time, and you're, there's yeah. missiles and bullets and lasers going everywhere. There's shields are up and there's explosions. It's it looks it's really uh, it looks kind of like space pirates and zombies. Like it when you're in the bit. combat, you know, like just from the top down, kind of scooting around, like shooting stuff. Uh, the combat is actually quite a bit, uh, quite a bit more depth to it because I actually own Spaz as well, and that's cool. the combat in uh, Starfarer is a lot more um, gritty. I I kind of call it, I guess. Well, Spaz is a very sort of arcadey Star Controlish kind of game, right. uh, and it sounds like Starfarer is appealing more to. Uh, sort of strategy nerd games gamers, uh, and I don't mean any disrespect saying that. But uh, <laughs> uh, what what kind of resources are there? Like, are you uh, are you trafficking in ship pieces? Is it just a straight up money? Are you trying to find specific resources? You mentioned these nodes. I guess that must yeah. be a major resource. Well, the nodes are just limited specifically to the tactical battles. Once you get to the ah. actual um, top level map, the the actual system map, there. At the moment, there's only... Um, actually, it's similar to... Uh, oh, what's the game called now? Oh, no. That's Space can, MMO. I, I can help you. Uh, Eve. No, Eve. Eve. Uh, yes, yeah. Eve. It's where... It's got an economy setup where like every kind of item in the game is viable for selling or purchasing or building. But, like I said, they're only in the alpha right now, so they don't have the full economy set up. So I'm not entirely sure how far they're going to take it. But they are going to be allowing you to build some simple or perhaps more advanced um, systems to build, you know, goods and weapons and such like that. Okay, let me ask you a tough question, Dan. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of uh, indie space games out there right now, uh, and one of the things that really drew me to Space Pirates and Zombies is that it has a real clear sense of... Um, I would say like personality or character. Like it, it has this this Star Control 2 type whimsy. And Star Control 2 regardless of genre, you know, Above and Beyond being a space game is one of the games with with the most personality I've ever seen. Like, I love how much character that game has. So when I compare Space Pirates and Zombies to Star Control 2, like, that's, I mean, that is high praise. So one of my problems with a lot of space games is they don't have much personality. There's not much of a hook there beyond your standard issue, you know, lasers, and maybe this game has space squids, and this one has space octopuses. Uh, So is that something that you feel they've done well in Starfarer? Is there much personality Um, there? uh, I would say the actual... The actual combat itself has a lot of personality, just the way they've designed all the actual... the whole feel of all the weapons, and the way... That the combat actually plays out, how detailed and how um, how minute all the munitions are, and how they're all each individually tracked and you know modeled by the physics engine, and how every single little piece comes into play. I'd say that has a lot of character, but in the yeah. overall, um, like again, it's an alpha, so I can't say for sure how it's right. going to end up. But the actual overall people and the the setting doesn't have a huge amount of character. But the one thing that compensates for that is the fact that despite it is an alpha, it has a huge amount of polish. Like it's just a really well made ah. game so far. So that's one thing that drew me to it because unlike a lot of other games, not talking about Spaz, but a lot of other space games, they seem to just treat the whole presentation as a second, uh, you know, as a as an afterthought. They right. They, 
spend most of their time on the actual game. Then they say, well, let's just throw a UE in there or UI in there, and it's done. Well, these guys and Starfarer have actually presented a you know a decent game overall. You, you do, I hear you saying that, Dan, and two words, uh, actually, three words pop into mind as far as the kind of character it has, and those three words are hot space porn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's plenty of character. Uh, and just to give him a shout-out, do you know offhand the name of the developer? Uh, I hope I haven't put you on the spot. Let's find out. Who did Starfarer? Uh, Someone Google that. Fractal Software. I could be wrong. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's Fractal. So FractalSoftworks.com. Sorry. Uh, it's an alpha. Uh, Dan, is there any uh, timeline in terms of when they're planning to finish, or is it a when-it's-done kind of deal? As far as I know, it's a when-it's-done right now. Um, they're not in too much of a rush, which is good, because they're, you know, they have quite a bit of support so far um, in terms of people purchasing the alpha, and they seem to be good financially, so they seem to be just taking it one step at a time, and as basically when it's done is when it's done, I think. Right. McMaster, have you tried it? Uh, no, I have okay. not. I've actually looked at it a few times, so it looks pretty cool. Um, it, the last space game, what was the name of that space game that, uh, Eve. yeah, that's it. No, um, <laughs> the, no, the good one, that, no, the one that had, um, jump gate. If no. I just keep yelling space names <laughs> at you, is that helpful? <laughs> well, no, it's just like, it was weird. It had like a text adventure part. If you got put in prison, it uh, had uh, space, oh. space Rangers two. I love yeah. that game. Yeah. That's a good game. So one of the problems with space games, uh, and I wished I'd thought of this beforehand, I would have come up with a quiz, is what are you going to name your space game? Because every, I'm convinced every single name is taken. You know, Space Pirates and Zombies, they got the last good name, I'm, I'm convinced. All these Kickstarter things, like, oh, what's this other, uh, Starlight Inception or whatever. Like, like I have, there's freaking no names left for a space game. So. Oh. You immediately have that strike against you. And even poor Starfarer, like to hear Dan talk about it, I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool. And I know that tomorrow I'm going to be thinking, uh, what was the name of that game Dan was talking about? Star, yeah. Starflyer, Spacefarer. Uh, so I just sympathize for anyone who doesn't have an easy hook like you, Dan. Pandemic, perfect name. Nobody's making a game like that. But if you're doing a space game, good Lord, you're, you're kind of out of luck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it seems yeah. like they're limited to basically taking adjectives and throwing them in a blender. Right. Uh, just because, like you said, there are so many space games out there, it's kind of hard to find one that stands out. Yeah, get throw it in a blender and make sure one of the words is either star, sun, or space. Yeah. <laughs> and just see what comes out. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, Notch took a really good one, too. You, you know his space game, right? My, oh, yeah. Space, spacecraft? <laughs> Uh, uh, what is it? Yeah, it's a hex. It's like oh, X ten uh, to the power of C or C. <laughs> what? What do you? What yeah, do you... I'm serious. That's the name of his uh, notch for Minecraft. His his space game that he's making is zero X ten C. Yeah, I'm gonna remember Starfarer before I remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so Dan, your game of the week, Starfarer, the Alpha. Uh, kudos to you for for supporting an indie project. Do we know much about Fractal Softworks, by the way? This is their first game, and as far as I know, and uh, I mean the, the the guys behind it might have been work, might have worked on previous games. I'm not sure, but I do know that their artist is the same guy from Gaslamp uh, Gaslamp Games that made Dungeons and Dreadmore. Ah, oh, that guy, oh, I wish I knew his name, I love that guy, yeah. Uh, well, so he's the artist for Dungeons of Dreadmore, or he's the main guy behind Dungeons of Dreadmore? Uh, he's the artist, I believe, and okay. he's also the artist on, Star on Starfarer now as well. 
Oh, good, good, awesome. I, you know what? It's so awesome, like discovering indie things like this. Uh, you know, you go to like GameSpot or GameSpy or IGN or whatever, and you're just reading about Diablo three, and that's cool. It's what you expect. But uh, I just, I just love how thriving the indie scene is. You, you talk to any ten people these days, and you'll get twelve suggestions for awesome indie games. Yeah, uh, that's so. All right, so Starfarer, your game of the week. Uh, Jason McMaster, your game of the week is Pandemic. I will briefly weigh in here. My game of the week is, uh, I'm a little ambivalent about it, but it's one of those things where I have to weigh being like critical and all analytical and sort of thinking, eh, this, and here's where, here's what I sound like when I think about this game. (laughs) I I don't know what the AI and the UI is kind of need some work and, uh, like I do all those little whiny critical things, but I find myself really playing it and plugging away at it and just dumping hours into it in spite of its problems. So, I think I really like it, but I'm not sure. But my game of the week is Warlock Master of the Arcane. Mm. So uh, we've been talking a lot about sci-fi and quasi-realistic science. Uh, This is straight up just fantasy. Just flat-out fantasy, nothing too crazy, unique. Um, It's got these weird kind of gods to it, and they give it a little bit of flavor because the tech tree, which is all in spells, also involves, like, which god are you leaning towards? It's the closest equivalent. This is a 4X strategy game, and that's the closest equivalent to, like, a, a tech tree or a civics system from uh, from civilization. Uh, but the unique angle for Warlock Master of the Arcane is... When you take your turn, you're not faffing about with cities and morale and putting workers down. All that stuff is is very nicely streamlined so that it doesn't take a lot of brain share. Instead, what you do each turn is you move armies around and use them to beat up other armies. It's very clearly focused, unlike a, a grander strategy game, it's very clearly focused on just, just pushing cool fantasy pieces around the board and beating up things. Um, my my main reservation about it, and here's where I would get into my whiny little critical voice, is I, I really like the AI on a moment-to-moment sort of tactical level. Like when, when you have like X number of units facing another X number of units, the game does really well. But as far as the larger scale, I think it kind of falls apart, and the AI can't handle... The larger game, like how to expand, how to make sure it's got a good economy going, how to do an invasion. Like I think it's absolutely incapable of attacking you, and that can be a uh. huge deal breaker for me because, like if I if I wanted to play a game, it reminds me a lot of the Heroes of Might and Magic series. Uh, and my main problem with those was that the AI was strictly passive. It would sit and wait for you to attack it. So each map was kind of like a maze or a puzzle where you just build up armies and you push them out onto the map at your own pace, and it never felt like it was reacting to you or coming after you. There was no sense of threat. You were basically just sweeping the maze out. You were like a janitor almost, more than a conqueror. Um, So that's my huge reservation about uh, Warlock, is I I don't think the AI can play the larger game. Um, I have a few minor interface issues that I think could be ironed out. Um, but for the most part, I'm really in, enjoying it. Uh, I, I love the amount of uh, just just that the combat they have, and it's very clearly spelled out. Like why one unit kicks another unit's ass. It's all it's never a mystery. Uh, a lot of information available if you want to look at it. And if you don't want to look at it, then just watch dragons breathe fire on ogres, uh, and that's in there as well. Oh, that's a good time. 
Yeah. Uh, the end game, it, there's a lot of mopping up, by the way. So also kind of like a Heroes of Might and Magic game where you're playing a fantasy janitor. Uh, I found that the end game, because the AI doesn't really react to you, it kind of sits back and waits for you to conquer it. It's just a matter of time before you get to the end game and you're going to win. And one of the ways you can win is just kill everyone on the board. Uh, however, they seem to trigger these victory conditions. Uh, and I'm not really clear on what triggers them. But at some point, you get to where you can, you're researching spells as you go instead of text. And at one point, I think you're supposed to unlock something called a unity spell, which is the big I win technology. And you research that and you've won. But then Isn't another. Isn't that like Master of Magic? Didn't they do that too? Yeah, they did. Well, it's, it's much like a space race in Civilization. I mean, it's the equivalent of that. Like, if you get to a certain point on the tech tree, the game just tells you, hey, you've won. Uh, yeah, it's so like the com- Spell of Dominion or something in Masters of Magic or whatever. Yeah, well, this is the Spell uh, of, of uh, Unity. So you're not you're not dominionating anyone. It's, it's much just more, like a Rick more, James kind of deal. I was thinking more like a UN kind of deal. Like United oh, Nations. Well, whatever. <laughs> Same deal. <laughs> uh, but in, in the, the most recent game I've played, you can also get in so tight with one of the gods and the gods are this uh, they're literally a wheel of various pairs of diametrically opposed gods and I don't know the names but like let's say Krypta the undead god is opposed to uh, uh, I don't know the the life god on the wheel and so as you get in tight with Krypta by building temples for her you move your little point on the graph closer to her farther away from the, the life god um, and then there's like a nature god and a machine god and whatever. So you're always making one god hate you as you make another god like you. And at some point, you get in so tight with one of the gods that the opposing god hates you so much that it sends down into the game its avatar. And that avatar is a super badass unit that if you can beat it, you have won the game. So that's that's kind of the religious victory condition in a way. So this latest game I was playing, I so pissed off the god that I, I think it was the life god. I don't know what. But suddenly this uh, literally a reindeer appeared on the map and announced itself. And it's just a reindeer. It's sitting there. But it's got uh, a thousand hit points. And just to give you some sense of scale, I have a dragon, a super uber, totally upgraded, experienced veteran dragon that has something like maybe 100 hit points. So suddenly, here's this crazy reindeer with 1,000 hit points, and if I can kill it, I can win the game. So I immediately call all of my units to kill the reindeer, and I've got this comical boss fight situation (laughs) where there's one reindeer ringed by skeletons on the outside, and then the ring around that is all mages, and every now and then a dragon flies down before getting one-shotted, and then I pay to resurrect it, and I fly it back. And each turn, this thing is healing up some of its hit points, and it's totally like something out of a Mega Man or some Capcom game (laughs) where I am just trying to do enough damage to to hurt it more than it heals every turn, and I feel like there's some kind of puzzle thing here where it's got all these immunities, and it's just, uh, it seems like a cool idea, but the implementation is so freaking annoying. Sounds like a Final Fantasy boss. Exactly, or like a JRPG. Yeah. Does it at uh, least look uh, imitating? Or sorry, not imitating. Intimidating? No, no, it's a reindeer. It's a freaking reindeer. It's just like it might as well have a little bright red nose and and, wow. and sing songs. Uh, right. That would be awesome. <laughs> you know, and, and to be fair, the the absurdity of the situation is totally awesome. Uh, that is freaking awesome. And there, there actually is. There's some tradition in Scandinavia of like life 
giving reindeer gods or something. So I'm sure that there's a mythological foundation for it. But but for me, it's just like I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm fighting Bambi for Pete's sake, and and Bambi is kicking the ass of of the entire army that I have spent you know ten fifteen hours cultivating. Uh, and I'll get I'll I'll get this damn deer eventually. Uh, so all right, so there's my game of the week, Warlock Master of the Arcane. I have some reservations, but I'm really enjoying it. A lot of cool polished stuff in it, and a great way to shuffle around fantasy armies. How's the uh, How's the multiplayer? Non-existent. So they have said that they will add multiplayer in a patch. Uh, this is a company that's been around for a while, so I have no reason to doubt them. Uh, but I, I can see that addressing a lot of the complaints I have about the AI, and because it plays, because the city building stuff is so fluid and fast, it doesn't have the problems of multiplayer sieve, where you know you just want to move an army and wait for your your battleship to get trained, and the other guy is trying to optimize his specialist placement. So you know it do, it won't have those mismatched pacing situations that a multiplayer sieve game might have. So that's kind of a breaking point for me. I, if you have a single player game, then at least put in some capable AI. I hate the idea of yeah. spending hours of my life playing a game only to face down an AI that will allow me to win, basically. There's yeah. no challenge there. Well, and you know, I, I feel the same way, Dan, but I think a lot of players, and, and here's where I can sort of have a little disdain for my own uh, criticism about AI, but I think a lot of players come to this almost as like an RPG, where they don't necessarily want the AI to play by the same rules and beat them, they just want to create an empire and clear out the map, mm-hmm. much like the Heroes of Might and Magic games. Uh, but the, the problem is that the game presents the illusion that here is an AI that's playing by the same rules as you. It has to build the same cities. It has the same rules for unit upkeep. It has the same movement and combat rules. Um, you know, when you present an AI on equal footing, you kind of expect it to use that equal footing against you rather than to just sit and wait for, for you to beat it. So, yeah, I share your reservations, but I can't help but think that it's something that a lot of people don't mind. And the only... And, you know, and the proof of that is to look at how many people like Civilization Five. Um, you know, really? You don't you don't think the AI in Civ Five is capable? No, no, I think it's awful. I mean, I, I think the problem with if if you have an, an approach like I sort of feel like the AI should be on equal footing, the AI in Civilization Five absolutely can't handle the the tactical level of the game design. The whole unit oh, yeah. of the yeah. whole idea of one unit per tile, it doesn't know how to use that. Use that. Unlike uh, Warlock, it does a decent uh, overall strategy game in terms of managing its economy and whatnot, but it just can't handle the the moment-by-moment tactical gameplay. Civilization V is a classic example of if you just want to make an empire and kill a bunch of crappy, lame AIs, have at it. If you want to play it like an RPG that way, knock yourself out. But if you want a strategy game where the AI is pushing back at you, I I feel Civilization V has just been an abysmal failure all along. Um, uh, I wasn't terribly happy with the AI, but I don't think I have found the AI to be that lacking as to be just a pushover. Um, but then again, I've, I've only played a few games, so I can't comment like on the whole overall experience yet. I do know that they have a really hard time with uh, nukes. Basically, I could just nuke an entire civilization of dust, and they cannot defend against that at all. And that, that's an instance where, uh, I don't know specifically about Nuke, but that's an ex- example of here's a rule that the player can use that the AI can't take advantage of because it doesn't understand it. Uh, you know, the, the game gives you certain tools, and if the AI can't also use those tools, uh, I feel like it kind of compromises the experience a lot of times. 
Um, and there, there's there's some of that in Warlock, certainly. Uh, like, I feel there are definitely some things the AI doesn't quite get, specifically with the spell system. Uh, you know, it's, it should have the same spells that I have, and yet it doesn't really seem to understand how best to use them. So kind of like you're mentioning with nukes, I feel like, hey, here's a, here's a loophole that I can take advantage of to, to beat the AI. Um, so, but then again, you know what? I'm a huge, picky strategy nerd. So... Uh, don't don't take to heart too much of what I say. <laughs> yeah, I have to ask you about something, uh, sir. What you uh, you've written uh, like one quick thing about it. Uh, you're not fond of awesome knots, huh? Oh, uh, awesome knots, not my game of the week. Also, by the way, uh, yeah. but <laughs> awesome knots is, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's just a MOBA or a multiplayer online <laughs> battle arena. It's just a, a Defense of the Ancients clone. I would say. Hey, I haven't I haven't tried it yet, but like I was stuff quite yeah me. Uh, I was curious about it. Um, yeah, huh? Uh, does it have like a jungle and stuff in it, or is there only three yeah. lanes? Nope, there's a jungle and uh, really? there are three maps. So uh, they have the, a different lane layout, of course. Like one of the map, I think, funnels everyone pretty much through the same lane. No, that's not entirely true. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely a jungle. Yep. Huh? Uh, uh, how do you switch lanes? You, uh, it's just a regular map, but it's 2D. So uh, you're, it's a side-scrolling 2D, which isn't that much different from a top-down view in terms of how you mechanically move around. It's just that gravity naturally pulls you to the, the bottom of the screen. So you jump. You basically oh. jump up to another lane. There are jump pads. Uh, there are shortcuts with little platforms where you can jump up. So you're just huh. playing a 2D platformer, and there are different avenues or lanes to the other guy's uh, base so yeah yeah i keep looking at it. i just can't i don't know i don't know if i can do it well as far as defense of the ancients clones go uh it's certainly a competent one yeah and it has some cool <laughs> things in it so. it looks nice i mean I, I don't know they don't have like a ton of characters in it but it, i mean it, it looks it's a uh, it's very attractive looking it, yep it's very good yep uh it's, it's a cute little game and uh yeah uh, all right, so let's do some news of the week. Uh, McMaster, why don't you start us out? What is your news of the week? Because we know, I think we know that Dan's has something to do with Kickstarter. He let slip about that. Yep. So you and me um, both, Dan, by the way. So, McMaster, do you have any non-Kickstarter wow. news? Or is it going to yeah. be a, a trifecta <laughs> of Kickstarter news? No, there's two There's two news things that kind of caught my attention, and, but neither of them are Kickstarters. Uh, one that I'll just briefly mention is Company Heroes 2. Yes, awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, where can I go to to support that with Kickstarter funds? Yeah, uh, I don't know. You could probably mail something to Relic. I don't. Know. <laughs> they probably wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't send it back. But uh, <laughs> uh, but the thing that uh, I found the most interesting is Bioshock Infinite being delayed, and I find that interesting not because I care that Bioshock was delayed, but because it was like, hey, Grand Theft Auto can be ready for you know October if you guys want. And then it's like, hey, okay, five shocks delayed. So, <laughs> so I, I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see Grand Theft Auto Five this year. So maybe it was the delay is a matter of a marketing scheduling issue with at 2K. You're, you're, you're yeah. suggesting, right? And as much as I don't like to, you know, invoke the name of Michael Pachter or whatever, uh, I believe he predicted that, of course, too. But like Nostradamus, he's predicted a lot of things. <laughs> if, if you if you throw enough stuff at the wall, some of it will stick. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a fact for you. But yeah, no, it's it's something. It's coming out that kind of like there's a lot more going on behind the scenes rather than just 
Bioshock getting more time, you know, to to tune everything. It's like, hey, well, if we can put out a Grand Theft Auto for Christmas over a Bioshock, it's probably going to sell better. Well, that's usually the case. Anytime there's a delay yeah. and they try to present it as, we just want more time to polish, you can usually point to either a, a marketing scheduling issue or uh, maybe some trouble in the project or, yeah. Uh, and I, I wonder, too, the fact that it's not going to be shown at E3, if maybe there's a little bit of back-to-the-drawing-board revisionism needed, like if they really need to affect some design decisions and i don't know the answer to that that is that is kind of weird that they would pull it out of e3 that kind of doesn't make any sense that's that's the strangest news of the whole thing like if i uh, then pushing it back and then going to e3 is whatever but yeah not showing it at all (laughs) weird all right so uh no bioshock this october but maybe a little grand theft auto 5 i'll take it i will too Uh, Dan, before we get to your Kickstarter news, I have yep. I have some non-news and some news. Uh, my non-news is that there is a construction kit, and there's a fancy name for it that I have forgotten. But there's now a construction kit available for Portal Two. Yeah, where you can. What is it called? It's called like the uh, the Portal Initiative or something like that. Oh man, what is it? I, actually, I got. Steam open, so I'm yeah, sure so it, it's it, all over the place. It has a fancy name, but it's basically just now players can make Portal 2 puzzles uh, and I guess share them with other players and, and whatnot. And the reason that I'm going to be a big jerk about this and say it's non-news is because I personally never played Portal for the puzzles. I couldn't have cared less about that stuff. What, what I love about Portal is the storytelling, and the puzzles were just kind of a way to gate the storytelling, to dole out those great little bits of, of writing. It's a perpetual testing initiative. Ah, yes. All right. So that, that for me is kind of the non-news, is that now, hey, more puzzles for uh, Portal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're fun for co-op, but yeah, I mean, really the point of Portal for me as well was playing through the story. Yeah. Am I hearing Gladys break down? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, but I'm sure folks will like you know folks who love their Portal 2 and their puzzles. Uh, great news for them. For me, it's kind of non-news. But I'm also very glad that Valve is doing that. By the way, I, I love Valve's willingness to let players bang on stuff that they make. Uh, yeah, that was really cool. Of them. I'll t- I'll take that over their Team Fortress 2 money hats any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but my real news of the week, uh, and this is just personal news, but I'm going to share it with you guys, is that I am $100 poorer. But you know what? I might be $100 poorer in 26 days, is it? Uh, because I just did my first stupid Kickstarter thing. I just supported my first one. Yes. And I, I can't. I'm. Uh, I just. I can't be throwing a hundred dollars at things that don't exist yet. But it's I did dangerous. it anyway. It's dangerous. And this one project just finally wore me down. It, it broke. You know what? It didn't even wear me down. The moment I saw it, I knew I was going to be out serious money. And uh, it's it's a Kickstarter project called The Doom That Came to Atlantic City. Now it's not a computer game. It's not a video game. It is a board game made by a couple of guys who have a lot of experience in both video games and board games, I believe. So that was a that was a key part of, of getting me interested, is that these two guys have a long history. Uh, one's named Lee Moyer, another is a fellow named Keith Baker. They've got a long history making uh, games, so you know that immediately 
I'm like, okay, I trust this Kickstarter. I trust these guys know what they're doing. The other thing that got me on board is they've enlisted uh, an artist for their game who's worked with H.R. Giger and, and worked in Hollywood, uh, and he's doing some figurines for the game. So I was like, okay, they two guys that know what they're doing with game design, an artist who knows what he's doing with monster design. But what really got me on board is the fact that it's a Lovecraft-themed Monopoly board game uh, and, and and by the way, one of the guys, I forget if it's Lee or Keith, says he loathes Monopoly, which any right-thinking board gamer should feel. That's a sentiment. Absolutely. Any, yeah. Monopoly is an abomination. Awful. Yeah. It, the, the enormity of Monopoly cannot be overstated. It's worse than Cthulhu, by the way. Uh, worse than Cthulhu taking over the world is someone bringing a Monopoly board game out when you're trying to play you know, Agricola with your friends or whatever. That's just terrible. So these guys have immediately said, you know what, it's a Monopoly Lovecraft game, but we hate Monopoly. And the twist here is that you play one of the old ones trying to destroy the world. So rather than buying property and building hotels and whatnot, you're enlisting cultists, you're destroying the city. Uh, so that that's the whole tweak on the Monopoly theme. And the reason that I didn't put down the $50 just for the base game is that if you put down $100, you get a couple of things. One of the things you get is this really cool t-shirt and, and by golly I have so many damn t-shirts I don't know it's rare that there's one that I care about but I care about this one you get a really cool t-shirt of this perky cartoon Monopoly chick uh, she looks like that that kind of artwork uh, that Fallout has like Fallout Boy but she's this Monopoly chick in the clutches of a cartoon tentacle and I just think that's adorable I want that t-shirt but more importantly you get pewter figures for the monsters that you play for a hundred dollars, mm. for fifty dollars you just get the game, but for a hundred dollars you get the pewter figures and the T-shirt. So I signed up for my first Kickstarter project. Uh, it looks like it's going to make it, like twenty some odd days to go, and uh, then I'm a hundred dollars poorer. I think they're aiming to come out in November. So there you go. There's my news. Kickstarter finally got me. Uh, all right, Dan. Yeah, there's. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on there, though. You know, like like ogres killing me. I really want to contribute to it. I just don't have hundred bucks to give them. I, I don't. I'm not. I, I don't want to be uh, the naysayer here, but I don't understand the nostalgia people have for ogre. <laughs> like ogre is so simplistic. I, I feel sure. Well, I mean, I'm I'm kind of interested more of like uh, what it comes with. I, I I don't know. I'm like a, a nut for the the board game. I like. The feel of board game pieces and owning them. Right. <laughs> I'm a sick, sick, sick man. But uh, but would you ever? So if you've got friends over for board games, Master, would you ever pull out a copy of Ogre though? Probably not. No. Hey, but he said that since this one's successful, he wants to do Car Wars. I like Car Wars. I like Car Wars too. Yeah, but but Ogre is just you know, oh, hey, one, one guy has a hundred hit points, the other guy has ten units with ten hit points. Go like that. That to me is Ogre in a nutshell, and I that just that's not enough game design for me. I want something more. Uh, and it's like Kickstarter needs to calm it down though. God, I don't want to. I don't want to have to pay all this money to freaking get Carmageddon and all this jazz too. Oh, oh did you just did you just scoop Dan's Kickstarter? No. So, no. So, Dan, what is your news then? So, if it's not oh, Carmageddon, I can't imagine. Yeah, what's more exciting on Kickstarter, more newsworthy than the Carmageddon? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's exciting or not. I just thought it was interesting. And then kind of Jason's uh, kind of conspiracy on the delay set the tone for it. Mm -hmm. um, there's another indie game called Xenonauts I'm sure you're aware of. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, just I think it was yesterday now that they've decided to go on to Kickstarter and they're asking for 50k. And the reason they're doing this is because that, well, they say they have enough funds from the people who've already supported the game through the alphas on their website, but they don't have enough money uh, to actually finish the game and put in all the features that they would like to put in. So they've started a Kickstarter, and they even have to go um, and contact like a, a lawyer in the U.S. to have them start uh, a U.S.-based corporation for them because they're not in the U.S. at all. And they're already at roughly 50% of what they're asking for. They're only asking for 50K. And they've already hit like 50% of that or more last time I checked. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious if so many people are going to be, or if so many people have already, uh, you know, responded and supported them over Kickstarter, what exactly is happening through their website? I would expect them to have a lot more customers, enough customers at minimum, to support them for what they were trying to do already. So I don't really understand why they went to Kickstarter for 50k when they clearly have so many supporters already, unless it's all the people who've already bought the game or are now putting more money into the game. So I'm just kind of confused. There is this weird situation with Kickstarter where in some, you know, sometimes it's like an indie developer starting from square one, but sometimes it's people like Stainless Steel, Stainless, uh, the, the Carmageddon guys, they've been yeah. working on, on Carmageddon for a while. You know, they've 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 got footage to show, they've got a team, they've obviously, you know, they're pouring money into development, and then on top of that, they're adding a Kickstarter campaign, which, you know what, I have no compunction with that, that's fine if people want to support that, but I can't help but wonder, well, weren't you already tapping into the pre-existing structure for how to make a game, uh, and now you're also turning to Kickstarter. So it sounds like something similar with the Xenonauts guys. Yeah, maybe. And yeah. I just, because they they're following the whole uh, Minecraft model of, of uh, throwing up an alpha for, you know, 20, I think it was $20 when they were originally charging. And so now, now they have, I guess, two sources of revenue coming in right. with their game. I, I mean, maybe it's possible that they just reached the new market. Uh, you know, people hadn't heard of the game before, and now they found it through Kickstarter, and that, that's more than possible. It just seems kind of odd to hit that much money so quickly, and then they're complaining about ha not having enough money to begin with. <laughs> uh, in a way, I can't wait for the Kickstarter bubble to burst already. <laughs> I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm glad for it, and it's exciting to watch it unfold and see what things bubble up. But uh, yeah, I, I wish it would kind of settle down and reach some equilibrium uh, at, at some point soon. Yeah. Yeah, there's been quite a few fake ones, too, so far, I believe. Two or three, at least. Yeah, I think in, anywhere there's money, you'll, you'll find folks like that uh, come sniffing along. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, another one that was like uh, like the one you mentioned is like Grim Dawn, which is something I supported uh, a couple of years ago. By they just hit their so. target, by the way. Yeah. Which oh, I'm really happy. And it's like I didn't, you know, donate to it this time just because, well, hell, I already freaking bought the highest level of their game I could when they asked initially. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hope it gets you know made, because I've been playing a lot of Titan Quest lately, and it's just an excellent game. Those guys are good at what they do. Now, when you say you hope it gets made, Grim Dawn, like, uh, Grim Dawn is uh, Iron Lore, Iron Crate, what are they called? Oh, God, what is it now? It's something like Crate or something. So they're the, the former Titan Quest... Some Crate of the former software, Titan, I think. Okay, and some of the former Titan Quest developers uh, are there, and they're doing a new kind of action RPG thing called Grim Dawn. Uh, 
Uh, right. they, they did hit their targets. So I, I think that we'll definitely see. And that's another yes. thing, like how many, when part of this whole Kickstarter thing settling down, there will be games that never see the light of day. You know, people will throw sure. money at projects that never come to fruition. And once that starts happening, uh, and that's, that's just a matter of time, you know, that's certainly going to cool a lot of people's ardor for, for supporting Kickstarter projects. Yeah. Oh yeah, and uh, I mean, Grim Dawn does look pretty good though. For those who like uh, who likes Titan Quest, they bought all the uh, content creation tools from Iron Lore. You know, so, Master, I hear you say that, but I kind of can't at this point. I can't really see past next Tuesday. No, I can't either. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm just like sitting here frantically clicking and gnashing my teeth. <laughs> uh, Dan, have you have you given yourself a sixth day next Tuesday for Diablo three? Uh, I'm probably going to get, like, crucified for this, I guess, but I actually played through the beta, and I'm not that fond of the game, so... Oh, you know what, Dan, I'm with you 110%, but that's not going to... Not being fond of a game is not going to stop me from playing it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, actually, when they made their changes, I I liked it a little bit better, the the big update. Um, But, yeah, I I know what you're saying. Well, I'm certainly with Dan in that I, just from a gameplay perspective... I could not be less impressed with what I've seen so far of Diablo 3, but the stupid thing about Diablo 3, it's like going to see the Avengers or something. It's it's an event at this point. It's not, oh, just, it it's not just the game. It's like for the water cooler talk to sort of be culturally savvy, if there's a such thing, about no, video games. Uh, yeah, you you, uh, you you can't very well not play Diablo 3. What are you thinking, Dan? <laughs> no, I mean, I've been getting messages from people who aren't gamers at all. Like, they don't even, I don't think they even own a, P, uh, a PS3 or an Xbox or anything. They just have a PC. And I just get these random emails or messages over Facebook. Like, oh, are you going to get Diablo 3? Are you gonna, What's your gamer tag? Or all stuff like that. I'm just like, why are you even asking me this? You don't, you don't play games. What are you doing playing Diablo 3? See? Yeah. That's the same when somebody tries to talk to you about the little uh, in the final scene after the Avengers. What are you going to do? Not see the Avengers? You, you got to be on board with that stuff. Well, that was an awesome <laughs> movie. So I mean, no wasn't that though? Hey, can we talk, McMaster? Did you see the Avengers? Uh, I haven't, but you guys go ahead. <gasps> McMaster, what the heck is the matter with you? That's like Dan not playing Diablo three. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that requires me leaving the house. Oh, McMaster, get out of that. McMaster, let's end this podcast right now. You leave the house. Go see the Avengers. I expect next week, on next oh. week's podcast, for you to say, Tom Chick, I have seen the Avengers. Uh, all right, we'll see. <laughs> uh, all right, so next week, by the way, when McMaster comes back to confess that he has finally seen the Avengers, we will have with us, oh, you know what, I don't know his last name, but next week is going to be very confusing because there will be two people named Tom on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, myself being one of them, the other being a guy from, I think they're called Red Wasp Design. And speaking of Lovecraft, they did an iPhone game, uh, which is also now a PC game called Call of Cthulhu, The Wasted Land. And it's a kind of an ex-commy take on uh, Lovecraft. We will have Tom from Red Wasp next week. Uh, and also, just to help you in advance, he's the Tom with the British accent. I'm the one that talks oh, yeah. correctly. He's the one that sounds like he's doing uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, so he'll be right. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so join us for that. Join us for uh, Jason McMaster's exclusive. I have seen the Avengers reveal. Uh, and and Dan, thank you for joining us. And and again, congratulations on Pandemic 2.5. It could not have happened to a nicer game. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Of course, that's it's uh, fun to be on this side of the podcast this time. Well, thank you for being here, and now uh, we will see everyone next week.